And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. You have your, well, I start to say if you have your Bible, if you have your iPhones, turn with me uh, into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm trying to get that. I'm not the best. My, my grandson showed me something the other day. I'll share it with you. If you put your finger on the screen and spread them apart, it makes the letters great big. <laughs> I knew that. I, I just wanted you to know I did. Verse 7, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure. Say treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Say earthen vessels. The reason I'm asking you to repeat it is when you see it, you hear it, and you say it, it combines the impact and puts it into what's called LTM. In psychology, that's called long-term memory. I want you to remember the words treasure and earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power, so apparently there's more than just power, there's excellent power is of God or may be of God and not of us. That's what I was trying to say a while ago about these materials. It's not a sales gimmick. Not one penny, not one dime, nothing of that comes back to me in any kind of royalties or anything. In the tens times tens of millions of dollars of sales of product in my history, I've never taken any kind of of return. I don't do it. I want to tell you something. I feel like I'd be stealing and robbing from God to do that because I didn't do it. There's an excellency of power that God gives us that if we claim it for ourselves, then it becomes our own and it's no longer excellent. My mother said to me before she finally was incommunicado, she she perished, I mean literally could not speak, hear, think, see anything, curled up in a fetal position in a nursing home for decades When I was born, she almost died and never recovered. And this woman, whenever she could still speak and communicate, she said to, I asked her one day, I said, Mama, what is humility? Listen to her answer. She said, I don't know. But if you ever see it, it wilts. Think about that. If you ever see it in yourself, it wilts. The excellency of the power is being humbled, not humiliated, but humbled before God to recognize in and of myself, I am nothing. I'm nothing but a glove in the middle of an intersection and everybody that drives over it grinds it a little more dirt into it. I'm just a glove. But whenever I was picked up, put through the washer, cleaned up, and the hand of God went into that glove, that glove did everything the hand of God in it did. We are gloves. He is the hand. And everything he does, he does through us. But we as a glove can do nothing of ourselves. And you know what? Some of you will never forget what I just said to you. That will stick with you till the day you die. I hope it's all of you. Listen to this. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. To be troubled is distressing. I get distressed when I'm troubled if I don't have that hand operating in this glove. Amen? Follow me. 
Distress follows trouble. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed means no visible way out. When we are in trouble and we see no solution, we become very much in despair. These are normal reactions to abnormal situations, and it's called post-traumatic stress disorder. The definition of PTSD is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. It is not normal to put your hand on a hot stove. So when you do, you pull your hand off, your reaction is you're not going to do that again. That's normal, and that's called post-traumatic stress. The disorder comes when you do it again. And by the way, if they don't call it post-traumatic stress disorder, you can't get insurance coverage either. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Right now, worldwide, the greatest persecution in the history of Christianity is taking place. I'm going to say it again. Worldwide, in the entire globe, more Christians are being persecuted today than ever in history. And if you think it's going to stay beyond our borders, you're grossly mistaken. Right now, there are people that hate you enough in this country. If they could, they would wipe this church off the face of this planet. They hate you, and they hate the Jesus you serve, and they hate the Jewish people of which that Jesus was descended from, and they hate America. You're the combination of all of that, and they hate you the most. That's not good news. That's not, boy, but they've got anything else you can share with us? Exciting? (laughs) Well, the fact is, when you are persecuted, the natural response is to feel forsaken. Like, no one knows the trouble I've seen. No one knows the pain I've known. When you're persecuted, you feel alone. I'm going to tell you now that I go to a church that I admire and love and respect. They're at Pace Assembly here in Florida. And they are the number one church in the nation to remember those that feel forsaken because of persecution. Every so often they all wear orange to church to remember those who wear orange as they're being beheaded by ISIS on the coastline of Libya. Watchman Nee wrote, and he was one of the most profound prophets and apostles of the kingdom of modern times. And modern times in his case goes back a long time ago to China when they were being persecuted there. He was persecuted. They said, he said they They whipped my feet with bamboo sticks. He said, they whipped my feet until my hands hurt. Why did the hands hurt? They weren't whipping his hands because his hands were attached to the same body the feet were. So I'll present you a challenge. Have you been awakened at night lately because someone somewhere was being persecuted for Christ? Or are we even attached to the same body? It's a good question, isn't it, folks? Are you willing to take some strong medicine this morning? This is not easy to consider. But we are attached to the same body those that are being persecuted for Christ's sake are. Don't be dilatory. When you think of them, pray for them. Cast down, but not destroyed. And that's the one I'm wanting to get to. To be cast down means to be thrown, not dropped. Cast down. What happens when you throw something down? You break it. It breaks. What was it we read and quoted that we are earthen, what? Vessels. 
What is an earthen vessel? It's a clay pot. What is a clay pot? It's, it's a dirt container. We're just dirt bags. <laughs> We're just a bunch of dirt bags. Now that'll humble us, won't it? Think of that. I love the story of the atheist who said to God, I can make man. And God said, you can. He said, yeah. And God said, well, make a man for me. So he got down and started scooping up some dirt. And God said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. You have to get your own dirt. <laughs> Oof. Right in the gut, right? <laughs> I want to tell you something. When God created man, he made him from the dust of the earth because we are breakable. Have you ever seen a horse that's never been broken run across the field? Aren't they gorgeous? Their mane flies a tail out. They'll stop and paw the air. An unbroken horse is something beautiful to see. But it's absolutely worthless. It's nothing but a hay burner, they call it. What good is a horse that can't be used? I see a lot of people that are just beautiful. Beautiful people. Handsome men, beautiful women in the world. They, they adorn their bodies. They're just beautiful. They're wonderful. Oh, my. And they'll go work out in the gym and they just love that mirror. Not one thing they do benefits the kingdom of God unless they're doing that for the kingdom of God in some ministry of sorts. I don't know what. My son is an iron man. He runs iron man things. He just ran the boulder one a few months ago and did extremely well. 140 some, 144 miles total swimming, bicycle riding, and running. He's an amazing athlete. But it's not the number one priority in his life. And he quotes the scriptures that said, physical exercise profiteth little, but it is a little, but it profiteth a little. But the most important thing is spiritual exercise. And when we develop our spiritual man the way we do our physical man, we must go through a process the physical man doesn't always go through. Now, my physical man has gone through it. It's called being broken. Until we are broken, we're nothing more than that beautiful horse out there, but we're worthless we can live in a room full of mirrors and admire how gorgeous we are, but we're, we have absolutely no value. But once we are broken and our spiritual, physical, emotional, soulish energy is harnessed for the kingdom of God, then we can do something for God that makes a difference in the kingdom and changes the world. But you cannot be used until you've been broken. Cast down is something nobody wants. But I can tell you now, to be cast down doesn't mean I'm in despair. It doesn't mean I'm perplexed. It doesn't mean I'm broken forever and can't be used. When Jesus gets through putting us back together again, we look more like him. He said, wait a minute. Jesus, son of God, he's not broken. Oh, is that right? Is that, is that what he meant when he said, take and eat this bread, which is my body, which is broken for you? He went through a physical breaking at the cross, but he went through a spiritual breaking in the garden. When he said, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, that's when he broke. Not my will, thine be done. Oh, man. Yeah, it hurt. It really hurt. When I came to from this last series of surgeries. Oh, man. It hurt. But one thing I learned... Long ago. And I learned it from one of my favorite friends I ever had. He's now passed on. But he was a colonel when he was shot down over North Vietnam. But he retired as a two-star in the Air Force. Robinson Reisner. And assumes a God man, by the way, if you're of that denomination. 
He was one of the most amazing men I ever knew. The highest ranking prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton, officially known as the Wallow Prison. Four and a half years in solitary confinement. When he was delivered after four and a half years of solitary, he walked out in the sunlight, so bright it blinded him. Singing, he was. Singing the national anthem. John McCain, Jeremiah Denton, men of great stature of this day looked at him in total awe as he walked out of that prison singing, out of that solitary confinement singing the American National Anthem. They said he was nine feet tall. When I do my lectures at the Air Force Academy, I always take a minute to go by the statue of Robinson Reisner. It's not like other statues. That one is nine feet tall. Oh, they can break you, but they can't make you what you are. God takes the broken pieces and makes you what you are that's then and now usable because you have been broken and harnessed. There's nothing more disgusting to God than a haughty spirit. And the Bible says he hates it. On July the 26th, 1969, on a river called the Vamkote on the border with Cambodia, serving as the Special Warfare Command Sailor in the United States Navy. I was trained by SEAL Team 1, served in Vietnam with SEAL Team 1, and almost died with SEAL Team 1. I was a brown water black beret, a very tiny group inside the SEALs. We were the boat guys. We got them in and out of those rivers at high speed and kept them alive. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm proud of my history. I loved my job. Because I could save the lives of those guys if I could just get them on that boat. I'm going to tell you a little secret. It's the most dangerous job I've ever had in my life. We had the highest percentile, the highest KIA in the war, killed in action. God tried to sell me a car the other day, spelled KIA. <laughs> Do not buy that. You killed in auto. I figured that out on my own. No, it's a beautiful car. I wish I could afford one. I said that so we don't get sued. I'm going to tell you something. God knew exactly where I was going. I didn't. I wasn't even planning on serving in the military. I'm a little preacher's kid, man. I was just a fat little preacher's kid. And if you've never seen a fat little preacher's kid run eight miles, it's something awesome to behold. I was still jiggling 15 minutes after we were through running. Man, I couldn't get it all stopped. Then I lost so much weight, I had to tease the hair on my legs to keep my socks up. Skinny came home. My wife didn't recognize me. I came home. She told me I wasn't half the man I used to be. And it was true. And it sent me to Vietnam. It's amazing I'm still here. On July 26, 1969. Yes, teenager. I know what you're thinking. Wow, that's right after the War of 1812. I picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade that burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You cannot extinguish it. It has to burn itself out. I pulled the pin and I drew back and I was one second from delivery. One tick of a clock. One more second. That grenade would have been out of my hand and gone. But the bullet went through my hand and it exploded right beside my head. Six inches from my right ear or less. In one second, I went from perfect health, 190 pounds. 60 pounds was estimated to be blown off of me in that one second. And I kept both legs and arms. So I didn't lose that massive amount of weight from loss of limb. It was loss of skin. 60 pounds of flesh blown off. I stood there with no feeling. I didn't feel anything. But I knew it was over. 
I had this sense of doom. I know I'm dead. In fact, I didn't know that I wasn't dead. I've never been dead. How do you know what dead is? Do you've been there? I didn't know what dead was. I'm thinking I'm dead. Yet I'm standing there and I look down. I can see my heart beating. That's when I realize I'm not dead. My heart's beating. And with every beat of the heart, I'd shoot blood out of an open artery. The bullet went there. And so I tried to save my life. I jumped off the boat into the water. My skin was all around me. You could say I was beside myself. <laughs> now that right there is funny. I don't care who you are. I needed to pull myself together. You know what I mean? I crawled up on the bank of the river. I looked at the damage. My left thumb was blown off. Even that was gone. They made that out of my hip. I don't suck it. <laughs> don't suck your hip. See, I'm trying to keep my entertaining voice for the junior hires here. This hand was severed in half. One finger left attached. These were all dangling by tendons. And it was, I was pumping blood with every beat in my heart. And I knew. No one had to tell me, oh, it doesn't look good, man. But when I jumped in that river and crawled up on the bank of that river and saw that, I knew it didn't look good. And I fell over backwards, overwhelmed. That's when they wrote me up as KIA, killed in action. It went all the way to the Pentagon that I was dead. The helicopter landed. They rode me on the stretcher. I'm still burning. They picked up the stretcher to run. The stretcher caught fire. It ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? Nothing goes right? It didn't go right. They rolled me out in wet blankets on another stretcher in the helicopter. Away we go. And the medics filled out paperwork. How I died, when I died, where I died, and who killed me. And I'm thinking, this is starting to hurt. The, the shock was wearing off. I cannot tell you the pain because I don't remember it. I don't want to remember it. You don't walk up and kick a sleeping dog, do you? I don't want the shock of the memory of the pain of that original burn. I just remember my reaction to it, and I've never reacted to any pain like that. Suddenly, I just let out a yell out of my mouth, and I screamed out, Medic! And when I did, he almost jumped out of the helicopter. The pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. And I thought, oh, Lord, now we're crashing. I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> They'll get me to Saigon and then to Japan. And they did. And I got to Japan and I asked for a mirror. And they brought it and I looked at it. And remember the words about suicide? This is where it all started. When I looked up in that glass, I knew that that little teenage wife would not love me. I met her when I was 16. I fell in love with that girl. I never loved anybody else in my life. She's the only girl I've ever loved. And at 16 years old, I asked her to marry me. She slapped me. <laughs> she said, but I'm only 13 years old. <laughs> I said, I know, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> she slapped me again. I use the word body, TMI. They call it too much information there. She said, if you love me, you'll wait for me. I said, I can pick you up at 10. I don't mind waiting. <laughs> I knew what she meant. I waited for every teenager in the house. Cool your jets, son. You can wait. I did. You can. I was a typical boy possessed with the urge to merge. She was a young girl not so possessed. And she cooled me down real quick. And I did not have sex with that girl till we were married. And I'm going to tell every boy in this place, your virginity means just as much to God as a girl's. Save yourself, boys and girls. Do it right before God. Thank you. Thank you. Statistics today say that doesn't happen anymore. But when I go to public schools and I say those exact words, I get standing ovations from students and usually led by girls. I always tell them what America needs is one pregnant teenage boy. That'll change the dating game. 
thought. We waited. She graduated. We got married. And I remember when I kissed her goodbye at the airport. She said, are you coming back? I said, I'll be back without a scar. Why did I say that? I could have just said, I'll be back. Or I could have said, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California. I said, I'll be back without a scar. It was the first clue that God was giving me. I wasn't going to come back the way I left. I knew when I said it, I just made a promise I cannot keep. I knew the statistics when I was kissing her goodbye. I knew the statistics when I said, I'll be back without a scar. That it was more likely I would die than I would live. And now I'm looking in a mirror that day in Japan. And I knew she couldn't love me. And I know it was over. That's when cast down turned to despair. And my last line of resistance, my last line of defense was gone. It's called hope. And I just said, well, I'm not going to take myself back to her the way I am. I'll never give her the chance to leave me. I'm going to call it here. And I tried to take my life that day. I had no gun or knife, <clears throat> but I had a tube hanging there that was in reach. And I pulled that tube. And I laid my head back and I waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled out lunch. You can die that way, but it's going to take a long time, you know. You're going to change your mind. You smell one pizza, you're plugging that tube back in. I'm glad I pulled the wrong tube. That doctor chewed me out and they sent me to America, to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. I was there for one year and two months and I'm a patient there right now. After 48 years, I'm right back where I started. I got more surgeries coming. But every time they do a surgery, I get stronger and better and I can breathe better and I can blink my eyes and, and I don't drool all the time. They're making me better and I know what's going to happen. They're going to finish. I'll be back to good condition. And Jesus will come the next day. <laughs> like he could have done that a long time ago and saved me all this pain. And they chewed me out and sent me to America, put me at Brook Army Medical Centers, I said, and they let visitors come visit. And a woman walked in to see her husband who was on the bed next to mine on the right side. She walked up, looked at him. He was 100% third degree. No one has ever survived it. It's impossible. All your skin gone, you will die. It's like your heart. If your heart's gone, you die. Your head's gone, you die. There's no, re no reconciliation with life. You can't come back and say, I, I want to start this over and we're going to do it right. Second, uh, it's over. She took her wedding ring off and threw it on the bed and said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. Turned around and walked out. I saw it. And my heart stopped. I know it did. I could feel everything in me shut down. And I looked to see which tube do I pull this time to make it right. And before I could figure out the right tube to pull the door open, there she stood, that little teenager. And the doctor pointed at me and I read his lips. He said, that's your husband. And I read her lips and she said, no, it's not. And I knew it was finished. My first love, my first wife, it was all over. She walked up, read the chart. 
I didn't read lips this time. I heard her say, that's not my husband. So he stepped up to the pillow. and There he turned my wrist and there's my name on my wrist. And she looked and she can't deny it. It's me. Angels leaned over the banister of heaven. Shh, they said to each other. Hush your wings. What will she say now? Because this is the moment of truth. And she looked into my eye that was still there. This one was there, but it was gray and patched over. This one looked right back at her. Most beautiful creature I'd ever seen in my life. And she said, that is him. And she went down and kissed what was left of my face and said, I just want you to know I love you. Welcome home, Davy. I got to tell you, when she says Davy, (laughs) I'm going to live. I said, I'm sorry, I can't look good for you. She said, you never were good looking. (laughs) Oh, you're cold, you laugh. That's all right. I figured if she could laugh about it, I could laugh about it. If she can handle it, I can handle it. And together, we celebrate 50 years, July 15th of this year. (laughs) Not bad. So you folks that have exceeded 50 years, you're my challenge. I want to go just as long as you're going. It is so good when Jesus is in the picture, isn't it? It's so good. No matter what you face, when Jesus is in the picture, it's going to work. So I never blamed God, never blamed anybody. I mean, it's war. God didn't start the war. We did. People do. People start wars. People kill each other. We teach the devil most of what he knows. When for us, he wouldn't have any imagination. The heart of man's deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Satan's had millenniums of study of the human race to find the most evil thoughts there are and he uses them against us. And the longer we go down the road, the more evil we get because he's learning from the combination of all of our evil. Don't give him anything to use against you. Amen. Amen. So I got to close. I'm sure it's coming up on noon. I don't know why we think at noon we're supposed to eat and church has to be over, but we're going to work on that, at least on the church part. And I left the hospital after a year and two months, as I said, and I did really well. I spoke all over the world in the greatest venues on this planet, the most successful I could have ever hoped to be. Everything was perfect right up until September 11, 2001. And on that day, my life would take a drastic, catastrophic change. Up from the grave arose an anger and a hatred and a, a murderous spirit. I wanted to kill anything that smacked of Islam and Islamists. I was so filled with the rage that day. I tried to re-enlist and they laughed at me. and said, you're already 100% disabled, permanent and total, not counting mental. I said, well, what is it with mental? They said, 240%. <laughs> I said, I'm twice and I have not. They laughed. I walked away in despair because I didn't know how to serve my country again. We're under attack. How do I serve my country? Two weeks later, I got that answered when the phone rang and it was Department of Defense saying, we're going to send you to Langley. 
We want you to be a contractor. We're going to send you all over this nation to every installation to train our young men and women that there's hope after injury and life after war. I said, let me pray about it. Amen. Okay. That's exactly what I told them. And to this day, that's exactly what I do, except a few years later, in the year of 2003, they said, we want to send you downrange. They sent me to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, and other countries. <clears throat> Ultimately, Iraq was the, biggest in, <clears throat> was the biggest influx of my energies. And now it looks like Iraq again. And I'm going to tell you something. It was bad enough to lose everything we fought for in Vietnam. My heart broke when I watched our young men and women who gave their very blood and watched their comrades die to just walk away and leave it for ISIS to take over. It broke my heart. In fact, I went on and with a 57-second statement on, tele- on a, a little, on this very phone right here, a 57-second statement on there about my feelings on that. And in 24 hours, it had over 2 million views in 24 hours because I'm not the only one that felt that way. And today, I get what Nathan Hale wished for. He wished he had two lives he could have given for his country. Well, I feel like I've had two. The first one, I pretty near gave all I could give. I was one heartbeat away from the grave. But God spared my life. And on 2001, September 11th, I got a second shot at making a difference in the lives of our warriors. That they would not come home to the disgrace that we as Vietnam veterans came home to. That's why your reaction a while ago took me off guard. Thank you, Evangel. Thank you on behalf of all your Vietnam veterans. In this room, if you're a Vietnam veteran, whether you served in Vietnam or in that era, same difference. You wore that uniform and it was part of the, the total experience. I want every Vietnam era veteran to stand to your feet right now. This church just wants to say welcome home. I salute you, man. Well done. Well done. And I say well done cautiously. I worry about that when Jesus says to Dave Reaver, well done. I say medium rare. I mean, I'm burned, but not quite that bad. It's just around the corner. He's coming back. And until that day, my heart will be for God first and country second. And as long as I keep God first, I believe our country's going to make it if we keep God first. Amen. I have a little video I'd like to show you. And it goes back to what I did in Iraq and what I still do to the best of my ability to help bring back through Operation Warrior Reconnect, to help bring back our young warriors that lived, to help them come back home. The video you're about to see, I named it Angel Flight because it's, what I did in Iraq was I brought their bodies to Afghan to pardon me to Baghdad, and in Baghdad they were prepared for shipment to Dover Air Force Base. I never shipped them. I never went with them from Baghdad to Dover. I brought them in from all over the war zones to Baghdad. The trip home was something I never did. 
But recently I was asked to speak for NSA, Fort Meade, which is the National Intelligence Agency's military community of all branches of the service, and for Dover Air Force Base and Mortuary Affairs, United States Air Force in Dover. When I finished speaking, Colonel came up to me and he said, have you ever been through the mortuary? I said, no, thank God. He said, no, you know what I mean. I said, I know what you mean, but I've never been there. He said, can I take you? I said, I would be honored. He started at the autopsy room. When we got there, I said, I'm not going in. He said, there's no one on the table. I said, that's not the point. That is like the Holy of Holies to me. That's where trained people deal with the magnificent remains of our magnificent heroes who died in valor. I'm not going to go in there and just look around. I'll respect that room. That got him. He said, I understand. I said, sir, is this not the most difficult assignment you've ever been given? He said, well, this is very difficult, but not right here. He said, come. I'll take you there. He took me over to another place. It was a room about the size of this middle section. It was filled with, you know, it's bigger than this. It may be the size of the whole bottom floor here, but anyway, it was big. Thousands of military uniforms. Straight in a row, all branches, perfectly hung, not one spot, wrinkle, lint, nothing. And I thought, well, all these uniforms, this, this must be the base exchange stockroom. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in a mortuary. Then it hit me. Every one of these uniforms will contain the remains. And I looked at that colonel. I said, Colonel, are these uniforms? He said, Yes, Dave. Sooner or later, every one of these uniforms will house the remains of someone who loved you and me more than themselves. And they died for our freedom. I felt my knees a little weak. And I looked at him and I said, then it's here, isn't it? Every time you pass through this room, this is the most difficult to say. He said, not here, Dave. Come. I'll take you there. He took me to another room. It was a little room off the chapel and it was... Well, when he opened the door, I knew where I was. A giant stuffed panda bear and little Tonka toys. This is the romper room for the little tykes who couldn't understand why instead of them doing all the crying, now it's the adults doing all the crying. Why are they huddled together? Why do they speak so softly? And why don't they tell little Billy why everybody's crying? It wasn't just the room or the toys. It was the blackboard. It wasn't eye level to an adult. It was... On the floor, I level to a child. And it wasn't just the blackboard. It was what was written on it. And I have it in a picture on this phone right now. Written on it said, My mom meant the world to me. I felt my chest sink and my lungs collapse. Collapse as breath was sucked out of my nostrils. I fought back my tears and my knees got weak and I... I had nothing to hold to, and I thought I would surely fall. I said, Colonel, it's here, and it? it can't get any worse than this. He said, infinitely worse. Come, he said. I'll take you there. He took me over to a place called the flight line, where the giant C-5A or the C-130, C stands for cargo, big airplanes with giant bellies, and they can put aircraft in there, helicopters, they can put trucks But the weightiest load it would ever carry was in a little container called a transfer case. You and I would call that flag-draped container a casket. 
military men and women in perfect iron uniforms in exact perfect step would march up that ramp into that that giant airplane unstrap that case hoist it up and in perfect step march off that airplane onto a waiting truck that had not even a chip in the paint no dust on the wheels the tires are glistened like new he said there's a rope that separates that scene a giant rope with golden hooks on either end on suspend, suspended on golden stands and there sit the family and everything so far has been without sight of their loved one but now what comes off that aircraft they know in that box is mama's baby I said what happens then he says she can't take it all the time sometimes we have a runner I said what's that he said that's when mama jumps that rope and when that truck takes off to go down to that room you would not go in she chases that truck down that street I said no colonel not really he said oh yeah I said what do you do he said I chase her I have to catch her. I said, then? He said, I'll hold her. I said, Colonel, what do you say to her? He looked me right in the eyes, and this is a quote. He said, in my 30 years of service to my country, I've never been ordered to do anything more difficult because there's nothing I can say to bring her baby back. So I conclude with this video and with this question. Have you ever chased a truck? Have you ever loved anything so much that when you lost it, you lost common sense with it and you chased that truck thinking you can catch it? Well, I'm chasing a truck and it's called American. In the back of that truck lies a freedom I once knew when a child could pray in school without a vein popping, screaming, red-faced atheist yelling, you're violating the Constitution. I'm going to tell you something. I want my country back. And I'll get it back. If you would, roll that video, please. It's all right, we'll hold it. Thank you. Very pretty piano, isn't it? I'm sorry, we can't show you the video. We'll close with this, though. Abraham Lincoln wrote a letter to a Mrs. Bixby. And in that letter, he used these words. It's come to my attention through the War Department and the great state of Massachusetts and the Judge Advocate General that five, not one, two, three, or four, but five of your sons died gloriously on the field of battle fighting for the cause of the Union. 
He said, my words are not intended to assuage you from your rightful grief. Yet they must be tendered. And listen to the words he closed with. This is an exact quote from his letter. The solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. It's a cliche, but it's never been more true. Freedom is not free. There will be no Taliban hand grenade down this aisle. There will not be an Al-Qaeda truck bomb in your parking lot. Because last night when we slept at peace, dressed this morning to celebrate our freedom of religion, the United States military was up all night watching over us to give us this freedom. God bless America. And may God bless Evangel Assembly. Because God and country still means something to us all. My name is Dave Reaver and I approved of this message. Thank you. Stay right here with me. Thank you. Thank you. And you. You can sit down in just a second. I, they're they're going to take an offering. Let me tell you what you're giving to. The money doesn't come to Brother Dave. Brother Dave's taken care of. I get your money already. I'm retired from the United States Navy. And keep those cards and letters coming into the IRS, and I'll thank you forever. But I was retired at 22 years old medically, and so I'm doing fine. I don't need to. What I am going to ask you to give to is that program at Eagle Summit Ranch. We have two ranches, one up north, one in Colorado up north, and one down in Texas near San Antonio. Both ranches are an hour and a half from the nearest medical facilities for, for the 4th Infantry Division up in Colorado, which is the largest, and for all of the military that go through Brook Army Medical Center, where I'm a patient. We bring them out to our ranches and we transform their lives with the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, I've got a program coming up in just a few days and just finished one. These are married couples we're bringing together that are already separated, going through divorce procedures, and we have not failed to see them go home, unpack the bags, and stay together. That is one of the highest callings we've ever been given. God is changing their lives. I'm telling you. When I ask you to give today, it's not in vain. Here's what I'm doing. I'm building cabins right now. We are just now finishing our first cabin. We have cabins, but we don't have enough. This thing is exploded in growth. And we're building eight cabins. Number one, we built to stand alone for an example and a sample to work with and see, have somebody stay in it, what works best, what doesn't work, and we're going to perfect it. And it looks like it's going to be 100% go the way it is. If so, then we start on number two through eight. These cabinets cost $25,500 to build each, one at a time, until we finish. I'm going to ask for your support today to help us build one cabin. And here's what I've got. i got a little ace in the hole, they call it. In Fort Worth, Texas, is a man named Al Banker, B-O-E-N-K-E-R. You can look it up online. He's an insurance salesman, and he has his own insurance company. And I mean, it's a big one. There's nothing like a sugar daddy in your life. He gives like you would not believe to our cause. But he can't carry the whole ministry at $5 million a year. What he does is he matches $1,000 gifts. 
anything from 1,000 up to and including 100,000, he will match on Monday. You give today of 100,000 down to 1,000. You will get a matching gift. I can't give even the 1,000. We're tapped out. My wife and I live very frugally on what we've got, and we're happy. We're totally content. But for some of you who may be very blessed financially, if you want to give, it'll be matched. And then we'll send you a beautiful plaque with our military coins. They're called challenge coins embedded in it. It'd be something you can cherish. It's not something you brag about, but you can say to your friends, it's not what I gave. It's to what I gave because I cannot do this without your help. But I want to tell you this. A dollar means as much as 100000 when it's given sacrificially. You know what I mean. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. When we all participate, I'll get those cabins built. The first one was built out of Orange Beach, Alabama, from the Island Church. They said, we're building the first one, and it's named the Orange Beach Island Cabin. Why not name one Tallahassee First Assembly Cabin? It's a good thought. I'm just having ideas flow through my little mind right now. All your help, whatever amount it is, will go to that cause. I'm good at keeping my word or I wouldn't be still around. Thank you for your support. And uh, if you want to give at the credit card table where our books are, you can give there every gift on a credit card or any other gift above your purchase. That is tallied up, and he'll get a report on that giving. So nothing leaves this congregation for a contribution that is not recorded in your understanding. Okay? That's my ability to be, my hope to be accountable in every way of my ability. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me mention all that. If you think it's about money, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking about people that know it's not about money. And if it offends you, I wasn't talking to you. I was only talking to people that didn't offend. So if you got offended, I wasn't even talking to you. So don't, don't worry about it. That way everybody's happy. Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. The ushers will come at this time. If you're writing a check, you'd make that check payable to Evangel Assembly where we can give uh, Mr. Reaver's Foundation one check, one whole check. So if you're giving online or you're going to stop by the bookstore, like he said, you can, the book table, you can, uh, you can give there as well. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for the word that came forth, Lord. We thank you for Dave Reaver and his ministry, Lord, and his heart, God, for this country and for the people. Uh, God, for families of our, of our soldiers, but so also, God, for the church and for people who are lost people who need to know you desperately, Lord. I pray God blessing upon his ministry, Lord, and, and the endeavors and the and the things that are going on in his life, both uh, personal, God, and, and, and as well in his ministry, Lord. We just want to be a blessing here at Evangel. God, we want to sow good seed into this thing and that, God, that it would reap a harvest for your kingdom. Do it now through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. straight in the eyes I want to say something to you when I was speaking a while ago about being broken I felt like I was pouring water into a a ready vessel to receive it so while you're still giving I'm going to ask you to do something with me if you're going through a time in your life and you're being broken it can be financial it can be physical it can be marital 
Maybe it's a spiritual breaking. But you're in despair. You're perplexed. You're distressed. You're whatever. Or if you are here and you've never made a step of faith to know Jesus. Could I pray with you? I'd love to have just a moment of interaction with any of you that would be willing to say, Mr. Reaver, you talk to me today. I need to be healed. I need to be put back together. And only Jesus can do that. So I'm going to ask you, I think they're through giving. Would you stand all over this room right quick? Everybody stand. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.